It's, um, it's really lovely to be back with you all again. It's kind of hard to believe. It has been a whole year since I was able to come and, and worship with you guys and share last year. But it's great to be here. Um, it's great to see such a, a personal and special celebration for all the mums that are part of your family here. But I know that all of us on this day celebrate mums and, and the incredible women in our life that have made such a difference to us personally. And I was with a friend of mine this week and her little girl is about to turn one, so she's going through all the motions of her first Mother's Day and her baby's about to turn one and we had a really nice time together, we were chatting and talking, but I was just sitting and reflecting, you know when you're with a mum, they've just got this constant gaze on their kids, hey, this constant watching eye that's got so much care and so much nurture. And I was watching her, watching her daughter, and, and I was reflecting on how beautiful that is. But I was also thinking about how, you know, eventually um, her daughter's not walking yet, but she will be very soon. And when that happens, kids find it a little bit easier to get out of their mum's watching gaze. And you can get into a lot of mischief, right, when kids get to that point where they can get away from, from mum's watching eye. My sister was one of those kids. When she was about seven, she requested a Barbie skateboard for her birthday. And in the early 2000s, Barbie skateboards did not exist. My mum searched high and low and couldn't find one. So she made one. She found a normal skateboard and a Barbie like decal sticker and, and presented it to her, and my sister loved it. Her favourite thing to do with it, however, we lived on a quiet back street, but she would find herself as often as possible on the highest point of our quiet back street, sit on her Barbie skateboard and skyrocket down the road. She was the one who would climb trees when mum and dad weren't around. She's got a few stories of ending up on her back after falling out of our mango tree in the backyard or climbing up trellises. It's a miracle she never broke a bone as we were growing up. Me, on the other hand, um, I would be reading a book sitting at the bottom of the tree as she fell out of it. <laughs> Risk averse is my middle name. I was not the kind of kid that would get into mischief when I managed to find myself away from, from my mum or dad's watching eye. We used to holiday at um, Maruchido when I was a kid. And I don't know if any of you know, there's this um, place called Chambers Island in Maruchido. And island is a very generous term. It's kind of a little spot of land where the Maruchi River begins. But we would go there a lot. It's quiet water. It's great for kids. And one day, we were walking across the bridge that connects the mainland to Chambers Island. And the tide was really high. And there were all these kids that were jumping off the bridge, sort of near the shore, into the water. And I thought, man, that looks really fun. But I sat on the shore and I watched them, still thinking, that looks really fun, trying to psych myself up to do it. Eventually, I sort of made my way to the edge of the bridge and I would stand there watching the other kids thinking, that looks really fun. And my mum and dad were going, it's okay, you know, they knew it was safe, they were watching these other kids, go on. I actually can't remember if I jumped or not. I'm pretty sure I didn't, because what I do remember is beginning that process of trying to psych myself up. The sun was high in the sky, and at least as much as I can remember, it was almost black by the time they dragged me off the bridge and took me home, but that's okay. I was thinking about these things, and it really does reflect something of our relationship with God as well, I think. Sometimes we can be a little bit like myself, and in life we kind of need God to coax us onwards a little bit. We need him to really convince us to take those next steps 
on a really bad day, maybe we actually need him to drag us a little bit to the next phase. Sometimes, however, we can be a little bit like my sister as well. And we do everything we can to stream out ahead of God, do what we think is going to be best for us, and it's up to him to kind of rein us in a little bit. These are both very real realities, and one of them might strike more of a chord with you than another based on your personality, but I think we also have it in us to kind of flow like a pendulum between one or the other. These are definitely ways that we can find ourselves interacting with God on our journey with Him. And today we're going to be looking at one of the miracles of Jesus. If you have your Bibles with you, we'll be in Mark chapter 9, verses 14 to 29, if you would like to read along. This passage is, it is just action-packed. There is so much going on, and we're going to take it slowly today and, and walk through what happened step by step. But I think we're going to see so much of ourselves and these kind of dynamics and the people that are interacting with Jesus in this story. But before we, we really dig into the scripture, would you just join with me as we, as we pray and look to God to help us to learn this morning? Lord, we just want to come and center ourselves before you right now. We want to slow our breathing. We want to center our attention on you. We want to learn from your holy scriptures here today, God. They have so much to teach us about you, about ourselves, and Holy Spirit, we ask that you would speak to us each individually. Shine lights on our blind spots. Show us pathways that we need to take to walk more obediently. We can do nothing without you, and so we just surrender ourselves to you today as we learn, and thank you for your word. Thank you that your watching eye is on us right now. We just pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. To give this passage a little bit of context, so just before where we're going to pick up today in Mark is the story of the transfiguration. So this is where Jesus takes a couple of his disciples, Peter and James and John, and they go up on top of the mountain, and they're part of this glorious experience. Jesus is, is trans, his appearance is transformed, and you can see all of his divine nature. The disciples want to stay on the top of that mountain. It's so glorious and wonderful, but they have to come back down. And this is when this story appears in Mark, and so they come back down, and it is an unbelievably rude shake back to reality. If we read verses 14 to 18 in our passage, it says, when they, that's Jesus, Peter, James, and John, came to the other disciples... They saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about, he said. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son, who is possessed by a spirit that's robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground, he foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. So there's, there's a lot of chaos going on here. There's already this crowd growing, and their excitement's only getting more fervorous now that Jesus walked on the scene. The disciples are there. They're fighting with the Jewish religious leaders, and Jesus is trying to figure out what all this calamity is about. 
And it's this father that steps forward to begin to fill in the blanks for us. And we hear this, this story about how his son has been terribly afflicted, how he's undergoing this awful physical and spiritual suffering. And I think it's important to acknowledge that the, the spiritual aspects of this story can seem pretty unfamiliar to us and pretty dark and pretty strange to us. And certainly throughout history and even in many parts of the world today, this sort of thing is not as unfamiliar to some people and some Christians as it may be to us. But it's important to acknowledge that what's going on here has taken a dark hold in this family's life. But we're gonna see what God has to say about that as we go on further in this passage. Because we can assume that this father's heard about, about Christ, right? He's brought his son to him desperately, I can imagine, hoping that this is, is this his chance to see his son freed. But he's, he's arrived, and in Jesus' absence, he's found the other disciples. And this doesn't mean that all hope is lost, necessarily. A little bit earlier, in Mark chapter 6, we read that Jesus did send out the 12 disciples. He gave them authority over impure spirits. And we read that they came back and they reported all the things that they'd done, all the things that they had taught, so maybe they can help. But something's gone wrong. They failed. They couldn't, they couldn't drive out this evil spirit, something that we can assume that they've done before, they've certainly seen before, they were not able to do in God's name. And so this is where Jesus finds himself, right? He's surrounded by a lot of probably very deflated disciples that seem to be getting jabbed a little bit by the Jewish religious leaders because they couldn't, they couldn't perform this, this miracle. And a disillusioned father, I would imagine, who's just seen another failed chance to see his son healed and whole. And Jesus' response to all of them is pretty pointed. We read it in verse 19. He says, you unbelieving generation. Other translations say, you faithless people. How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. Jesus' response shows us that he knows that what's happening in this crowd right now is not faith in its purest and its truest form. And different Bible scholars, they have different opinions about exactly who Jesus is speaking to in this moment, but pretty much all of them agree the disciples are at least part of what he is saying. And we don't know, we don't have it recorded for us exactly how the disciples tried to perform this, this miracle we don't know if they did walk up to this situation with some kind of arrogance or belief that they really did just have it all in their own strength, that they didn't need God's help. I think maybe it's also possible that they fell prey to a kind of naive forgetfulness that we probably know ourselves. The kind of forgetfulness that thinks that over time we can kind of build up these spiritual muscles. And so all of a sudden, one day, after we've just worked hard enough, we'll be able to jet off ahead of God. We know the way to go. We know how to do these things. I met my, uh, my cousin's little baby this week. She's seven months old, and she's really, really cute. And I was sitting, and I was kind of holding her in my lap, and she was doing that thing, you know, where babies, like, lock their legs, but then they kind of bounce up and down, like they're trying to dance a little bit, and she wanted to do that for a very, very long time. But if I had let go of her in that moment, she would have sort of crumbled to her knees in my lap, you know? 
But that's not true forever. In a couple of months, her legs will be strong and, and she would be able to hold herself up if I was to you know, let go of supporting her. I think sometimes we think of faith in this way, but it's not. There's always strength and power that is God's and it's God's alone. And so I think the first way that we see in this story that our, fault, our faith can falter is that like the disciples, we forget that God is the ultimate source of power and strength behind every miracle, behind every blessing, behind every ministry, behind all of our lives. We can have moments like this in ministry where things are going really well and we think that we can just keep carrying it on in our own wisdom and strength. Or maybe we have a really good season with, with our kids or in our marriage. And so when a, a rough patch occurs, all of a sudden it doesn't even occur to us to pray, to bring it to God. We think that if we can just plan enough in life, if we can just research enough, if we can just put in enough hours, then we are going to be able to bend our lives and even others according to what we want. Because we've done the time, we've got the experience, we've got this sorted, right? But we see that that's not true. The disciples have certainly seen in this story that that is not true. But if we continue to see how this situation plays out, we get to know the father of this, this, poor, this poor boy a little bit more. If we read from verse 20, it says, they did bring the boy to Jesus. And when the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered, it's often thrown him into fire or water to kill him, but if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, Jesus says, everything is possible for one who believes. We see here that as the spirit sees Jesus, it kind of knows that maybe its time is short that it's met its match and it throws this last ditch attempt to cause further suffering and wreak further havoc in the one that it's been afflicting for so long. This father's brought this son and literally as he's speaking to Jesus, he's finally made it to the one he believes can help. His son is convulsing on the ground. There are crowds surrounding him. This is, this is difficult. This is kind of humiliating for them as a family. And Jesus is still asking questions. We don't know the way that this father was holding himself in this moment, the way that he might have been speaking to Jesus. But as I sat and really soaked in this passage, I wonder if maybe he was a lot more distraught than what we would sort of naturally read this passage as. I think I would be if someone I loved was suffering right in front of me and Jesus is still asking questions, you could, you could imagine yourself getting a little bit agitated, right? Please help us. This thing is going to kill my son. We need you. But Jesus is in control. He knows he's in control. He knows he reigns over this spirit. And so he takes this moment to challenge this man's faith as well. If you can, he says. Everything is possible for one who believes. Now, I don't think Jesus is saying that anyone who clicks their fingers can, you know, sort of treat God like a genie or a vending machine, but he's clearly making a statement here about the power of God and the sovereignty of God to work in the lives of his children, of, of his family, when they earnestly come to him. 
And in verse 24, we read the father's response to Jesus' challenge. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. This is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. This is one of my favorite verses about faith in all of the Bible because I think it is one of the most beautiful and honest depictions we get of what it means to be a human trying to trust the God of the universe. Jesus has already sort of called out the faithlessness of the disciples, but I think he's doing it here with the Father as well, but the emphasis is different. We said just before, we know that this father must have come with some level of belief that Jesus was going to be able to perform a miracle for his family. But he's already seen one failed miracle today. His son is suffering in front of them, and and no one seems to be really stepping up to the plate to make this go away quickly. Jesus challenges him that anything could be possible for him and his family, and his response is so honest. I believe, but I'm struggling right now. I want to trust, but it's really hard. Look at the situation we're in. I I need you to help me, Jesus. I think the Father shows us how our faith can falter in a different way to the disciples. He doesn't possess any sort of overconfidence, but rather his concern seems to be that some of his doubt may outweigh his trust and that he's going to miss out on the miracle that God might be able to offer him. See, I think if we can imagine that there is this sweet spot in life where we find ourselves in this beautiful alignment with God, where we're acknowledging his power and our lack of power, then we see in the disciples and the Father in this story ways that we can find, of, find ourselves askew from that. Like the disciples, we can sort of stream ahead of God. They sort of forgot about their teacher Jesus, their dependence on his power and his teaching. They forgot that God is the source of power behind every miracle. The father, on the other hand, he was needing to be pulled along because in one hand he was holding faith, in the other hand he was holding unbelief. He desperately wanted to know that God could perform this miracle, but he was sort of begging for proof in a way. And along the way in life, we are going to falter in similar ways. There is so much going on in this passage. As I said, there is this crazy spiritual stuff happening. There's crowds and there's suffering. But as I read it and I looked over it, I was just so struck by the people because they looked a lot like me (laughs) and they looked a lot like us. The ways that they were responding to Jesus the different attitudes that they were holding in their heart that was affecting the way that they saw God. We all have days or maybe even whole seasons where we want to rush out ahead and just see things get done and we leave God behind and others where we need to be dragged along in faith. I think it's easy when we have these moments, and especially when we become aware of these moments, when our faith is faltering, I think it's easy to assume that we, we know, you know, how God's going to treat us, right? That maybe if we've gotten carried away and we've streamed out ahead, God's just going to want to judge us. He's just going to want to condemn us, and we're going to miss out on something beautiful, on something good. 
Or maybe we think that if we feel like we're lagging a little bit, if we're struggling to believe that God is just going to leave us behind, you don't get it, fine, I'm just going to move on. And again, you're going to miss out on the beautiful thing that God has to offer. But as this passage closes, we see how Jesus does respond to all these people in the circumstances they find themselves, in the faith that they have, and it is so very different. As the passage closes from verse 25, we see that when Jesus saw the crowd of onlookers was growing, he rebuked the evil spirit. Listen, you spirit, that makes this boy unable to hear and speak, he said. I command you to come out of this child and never enter him again. Then the spirit screamed and threw the boy into another violent convulsion and left him. And the boy appeared to be dead. A murmur ran through the crowd as people said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and helped him to his feet, and he stood up. Afterward, when Jesus was alone in the house with his disciples, they asked him, why couldn't we cast out that evil spirit? And Jesus replied, this kind can only be cast out by prayer. We see that when it came to this father, with his faith that also was very much intermixed with some kind of doubt, Jesus responded in great mercy and he still brought about the miracle. He does what the disciples failed to do, what the Father feared no one would be able to do. And he shows a miracle that foreshadows the incredible power of God to resurrect even the most broken and dark things. The power of God to redeem things, to make them whole, to bring beauty out of ashes. He doesn't withhold this miracle because the Father was holding faith and doubt in each hand. But he graciously brings this gift forward that allows the Father's faith to grow a little bit bigger allows him to trust that little bit deeper. And we see in the disciples' case, even in their their faltering, independent sort of faith, he still takes them aside to teach them, to so gently correct them, that it's not about the work that they can do, but rather holding a constant posture of dependence and prayer on God to see the work that he will do in this world. He reminds them of the importance of listening to God, of partnering with him in everything that they do. And so in all of the honest depiction I see about us as humans and faith in this passage, I think the incredible thing that we can take away is that a faltering faith, when humbled, can see God move. Our faltering faith, when we come to God humbly, we'll still see him move in incredible ways. Maybe not the way we expected, maybe not in the time frame that we expected, but we will still see God do a work in our lives. Even when we do not feel so marvelous ourselves, he will come in his grace and do marvelous things because it's not about us. It is always about our Lord, his grace and his power and his strength. We get to celebrate that truth in 2 Corinthians 12 and acknowledge that in our weakness, God gets to shine even stronger. We're going to finish up in in a moment. 
And I just want us to be able to take a moment to reflect on our own lives. Whether you've come here today all the more aware of your role as a mum, or dad, or a ministry leader, or as a business owner, or just, just as a person, just as a Christian. There is every chance that you might be feeling tired, or stressed, or exhausted, that you have been trying to fulfill these roles and be these things in your own strength for so long, relying on your own skills or whatever wisdom you can grasp from a podcast or a book, anywhere that you can get it, that's not looking back to God. This, this scripture reminds us of the beauty of partnering with him, of coming constantly to God in prayer, of including him over and over again with our days, with our decisions, with our life. We have to be convicted to realize when we're in this state in our life, but it's the grace of God that he meets us in that place, that he holds us closely and that he walks with us from that moment when we repent and come back to him. But maybe you're on the other end of this spectrum, right? Maybe you are just feeling so insecure. You're feeling scared and you're feeling alone. You desperately want to see movement. You desperately want to grow in your life, but you feel like you're not enough. You're scared that maybe God is not going to bring the change that you want to see. God offers us so much freedom in reminding us that we're not enough. It's not about us, but that he can do marvelous things. He shows strength when we can only be weak. When we humble our hearts and acknowledge the ways that we've shifted our eyes from God, when we've come off that, you know, sweet spot of walking with him, he meets us there, he showers us with love. And if we stop and we listen and we dwell with him, we can always find next steps forward. I don't know if you may have any sense in your heart that your faith has been faltering here today. But by acknowledging that, by coming to him, we can draw closer and walk more faithfully with our God. And so we get to worship now and we get to bring our fears and our confessions and we get to put him back in his rightful place as the ruler over our life, who can do incredible miracles, who is our loving father, who wants to direct and guide our steps who will help us to humble ourselves in our faltering faith and move in beautiful ways in our life. And that is something we can be so, so thankful for. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, we know that we do not always get this faith thing right. We know that we get distracted. We know that we can get arrogant we know that sometimes we can struggle to believe that you are all that you say that you are. But it's, it's comforting, God, to know that that's not new. To know that throughout history, people have struggled the same ways, that, that we get to stand together in that, in this very room. Lord God, would you just humble each one of us now to see ourselves clearer and to see you clearer God, bring us into alignment with you here today. We want to walk closer with you, Lord. We want to be obedient to you because we don't want to stand still. 
We want to be dependent on you and we want to see you do marvellous things in our life, in this church, in our world, God. And so we thank you for your grace that you never leave us behind, that you always bring good to those who call on your name. And so, Lord, would you just encourage us today? Would you bless this church? Would you fill them with your spirit afresh? Remind them of the joy and the adventure that it is to partner with you in all that they do in their lives. And Lord, as we come now to worship you, would you just rain your spirit down on us? We want to praise you. We want to honour you. We want to see you clearer so that even when we falter, we will always come back to a place of following you, seeing you move and praising you for your glory. Thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice that allows us to come here to this place where heaven and earth feels thin and we can dwell in peace. We pray these things in your name.